Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're continuing with our study of those who encountered the Christ child. Allow me to read this passage. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, have, we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for these stories of Christmas. Lord, we're so thankful to understand how he impacted so many lives, even as a child, even as the Christ child. Lord, give us wisdom and guidance of understanding as we study your word today. Show us, Lord, anew the desire that we should have to bow before him in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we're dealing with uh, uh, those who encountered the Christ child. This is our third in our series, and we've already uh, examined the shepherds. God sent an angel to them and helped them to, I'll just go ahead and turn this off. God sent an angel to them and showed them that uh, the Christ child had been born in Bethlehem, the nearby uh, village there. So they left what they were doing, they went into the village, And they found the baby laying in a manger. And we understand that God worked in a miraculous way to bring this motley group of shepherds to become the first witnesses of the Christ child. Because they began to share the good news of great joy with all who would listen to them. And they were filled with the Spirit of God. And God blessed them and used them as the first evangelists. Then about 40 days later, Mary and Joseph took the baby child, Jesus, to the temple in Jerusalem, as was the law of the Lord. They offered a sacrifice for him after her days of purification were over. And there, while they were in the temple, 
a man, a righteous and devout man named Simeon and an elderly woman named Anna, they both came and began praising the Lord, sharing about that this is God's gift of salvation to all people. They became witnesses as well. And so now we look and after they had finished at the temple, they returned back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was all about five or six miles south of Jerusalem, not a very long journey. So they returned to Bethlehem. That's where we pick up with our story today. First of all, we saw the poor and the lowly shepherds worshiping and becoming witnesses. Then we found the devout and the godly, Simeon and Anna, worshiping, sharing the praise of God that he had brought forth his salvation. Now we're going to look at the third group, the rich and the affluent, the Magi. Now the Magi are from the east. Now where is the east? Where did they really come from? Well, this has been discussed and debated for hundreds and hundreds of years. I'd just like to share what I think may have been. I think we can find some evidence directly from the scriptures in the Old Testament. If you go back, there's a time in the life of the Israelites that they were taken into captivity into Babylon. And one of the young men that was taken into captivity was a man named Daniel. And he became kind of a favorite of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar used him as a, first of all, as a go-between between him and the Jewish people that were now in captivity there in Babylon. But Daniel proved his worth to him over and over again. And at one time, Daniel showed that he worshiped the one true God. And once King Nebuchadnezzar was convinced that Daniel's relationship with his God, he said, Daniel, I'm going to make you over all the wise men of Babylon. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, if you go back to the original Hebrew, and then it's translated into the Greek, basically what the term is is rab Maj, and what that means, Rab is the chief, and Maj is the same word that we find for Magi. So Daniel was the chief Magi, the chief wise man of all Babylon. Now, if you remember through the history, Babylon was then overtaken by the Medes and then overtaken by the Persians. So it became the land of Persia. Now, that's really our current day, Iran, but we're looking at that area of the world and it definitely would be considered the land of the east. Now if you look at kind of that area where Babylon was and is, you're looking about a 1600 mile journey from there to Jerusalem. Now just think, we don't have planes, they didn't have fast trains, they didn't have cars, they're riding camels more than likely. And we look at the tradition of three wise men. I believe that there are far, far, far more than just three. We typically use the word three because there are three gifts given. That's the only reason why we think of three wise men or magi. I believe that there's a large caravan because it disturbed Jerusalem when they arrived. So we look and we see that these men set off on a journey. They saw a star 
in the east. They were in the east. They saw the star from the east, and it led them to the west towards Jerusalem, actually towards Bethlehem. They got a little sidetracked along the way. But we look at these wise men, and they traveled a long journey. Now, if you just divided the pace of a camel about three miles an hour between that, you're looking at almost two months, but I have a feeling it took quite a bit longer than that. Number one, these camels weren't just carrying a bunch of wise men. They're carrying gold and myrrh and frankincense. They had loads to carry all this caravan's worth across a long journey. 1,600 miles is a long trip even today. And so some of the people who have speculated say it probably took them in the neighborhood of six months, maybe even longer, to make that journey. To stop early enough to set up camp and then to stop in the cities along the way to resupply and just to take care of their needs. Probably a very long journey. So what does that mean? More than likely, Jesus was at least six months old when they arrived. Some scholars say somewhere between six months and maybe even a year and a half old. Why do we go that long? Because one thing that Herod did is he asked them exactly when this star appeared in the sky. And they told him. And then after they did not return to Herod, he said, well, I'm going to get rid of this child, this threat to the throne. I'm the only king of the Jews, not anyone else. And so he sent men, soldiers into that territory. And he had all the boys who were ten, two years and younger executed, slaughtered. So that's why we believe that he was at least under two years, maybe 18 months so somewhere between six months and 18 months is probably how old Jesus was when these magi came to him. So we look and how, how would these magi understand that Jesus had come? Well, first of all, they asked this question. Where is the one born king of the Jews? First of all, how would they even know that there was one born king of the Jews? And another question I just thought of earlier was, how does anybody become born a king? Typically, you are born a prince, and then you wait for your father, the king, to die and then replace him. Well, God had this worked out because he was already king. He was king of kings and lord of lords. And so he was born king of the Jews. But Jesus came, and they saw his star in the east. They were in the east when they saw the stars, what that means. Now, these... Wise men, these magi, who were they? Well, we understand that they were scholars in many different ways. They are known as being astrologers as well as astronomers. They were gifted at uh, interpreting dreams. They studied religions. And because the people that were, had been taken into captivity, the Jews, now lived in Babylon. If you remember when Cyrus the Great, the uh, Persian, said, okay, you can leave. You can go back to, uh, to Jerusalem. The large majority did not go. It was a small handful of the large crowd of the Jewish people that were in Babylon at that time actually came back to Jerusalem. The reason why is most of them that were living in Babylon had never lived in Jerusalem. They'd been there 70 years. The lifespan of the people back then was not that long. 
So the large majority of those who were now in Babylon, who were Jewish people, had never lived anywhere else. So they remained in Babylon. So these Persian wise men, I believe, have been stu students of Judaism. They had heard of this religion. They became scholars of it. They began reading the scriptures that these uh, Jewish people had with them, and they became understanders of the promise, the Messiah. They'd read the prophets, and they believed all that they heard. Now, how did they come up with seeing this star and deciding, okay, that represents a king? Well, you basically have to go back to uh, a time back in Numbers, there's a story about a king named Balak, and he wanted to curse the Jewish people. And so he hired a, an oracle named Balaam. If you remember the story, God kind of intervened and used a donkey to talk to Balaam and convinced him that he was on the wrong path. And so Balaam, instead of pronouncing a curse, even though he's getting paid to do so, he could only speak a blessing about the people of Israel. And here is what he said, Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. A star shall rise, shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter representing the king shall rise from Israel. If they had been students of the Jewish scriptures, they could easily have read that and said, we have seen this star. Now, let me just go ahead and get something out of the way. What was this star? Well, there's a lot of people that talk about uh, the, the alignment of planets that would have if you were in the east and in, in Persia, it would have pointed you in that direction. And they go back through time and they can realign all the stars and the planets and know exactly how things are. Folks, why do we have to rationalize and put some kind of logic into a miracle of God? Let me ask you something. If you go from the east to the west and you get to Jerusalem, well, okay, that means that the star was leading you westward. If you get to Jerusalem and you go to Bethlehem and the star's leading you to Bethlehem, Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. How did this star all of a sudden just shift from the west down to the south to point you in a different direction? And here's something else. It directed them not to a city, but it directed them to a house. God did that. This was no alignment of planets, no Alignment of stars, this was a special supernatural sign from God. That's all that matters. God used something special because his son was special. Now, these magi, they were students of the scriptures, I believe. They did not understand it all. I believe that in their minds, they thought, if there's going to be a king of the Jews, where would he be? other than the capital of all Judaism, Jerusalem. So they made a beeline to Jerusalem when they got nearby. And so they asked, well, where is he? Where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? Well, Herod 
we're not going to get into all how bad Herod was, but he was wicked and he was, he had the title king of the Jews, even though he was not a Jew, but he was very threatened by this. He hated thinking that anyone could ever usurp his position. Matter of fact, he had his one of his wives killed, several of his sons killed, because he thought that they just might be plotting to overthrow his position as king of the Jews. Uh, but he was not happy with this report that anyone might be born king of the Jews. So not knowing the scriptures himself, he calls the chief priests and he calls the scribes and says, what do y'all know about this? And so they said immediately, oh, He's born in Bethlehem, and then they even quote the scripture. We see it in verse 5. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was, uh, is what has been written in the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, let me just ask a question. Here are the religious leaders of that day, the, high, or the chief priests who probably had sometime or another served as a high priest, and the scribes. The scribes were not just ones who wrote the scriptures. They were the ones who interpreted the scriptures, and they were the ones who helped to develop all the rules and regulations that the Jews tried to keep to, to be obedient to the scriptures. Now, if these were the religious leaders of that time, did they act like it? They were knowledgeable about the scriptures. But after saying, oh, he is born in Bethlehem, and they had great evidence to believe that he had just been born in Bethlehem, they showed absolutely no interest in going to Bethlehem. They did nothing, as far as we understand, to rally the people and say, he is here, the Messiah is here, let's go and worship him. Or let's prepare our hearts for worship. Let's go and rejoice over this gift of God. They didn't do any of that. But before we criticize them too much, let me ask you a question. If somebody came up to you and asked you, what do you know about this man named Jesus? Would you just give historical information? Would you just say, well, he was born some 2,000 years ago. The scriptures say that he lived a perfect, sinless life and that he died on a cross. And the scriptures say that he rose from the dead. Or would you say, well, I got a lot to tell you about this man named Jesus. God sent him for one purpose, to save us from our sins. He lived a perfect life so that he could die on a cross to replace us to take upon himself the guilt and the penalty of my sins and the sins of the world. And he died for us. And he didn't just die. He rose victorious over the penalty of sin, death. And he rose to give us not only salvation, but eternal life. I'd like to tell you more about this man named Jesus. Would you just use it to give historical evidence? Or would you use it as an opportunity to witness? Unfortunately, these priests and scribes just simply said, oh, he was born in Bethlehem, and that was it. No interest, no desire to go and worship their king, their Messiah, Jesus. 
Well, we look at the Magi as they come. They turn for going west, began going south, about five or six miles down to Bethlehem. And this supernatural sign, this star, led them to a house. Now, Jesus is no longer in the stable. He's no longer in a manger. They have moved into a house. They probably, they may have already done so before they left to go to Jerusalem for the uh, purification uh, ritual, uh, paying the, the sacrifice. But when they came back, obviously, they moved into a home. Now we wonder, why doesn't the scriptures mention Joseph here? If they had moved back to Bethlehem and were calling it home, more than likely Joseph was working. He was a carpenter by trade. So chances are that Mary and the baby Jesus, young child Jesus, were the only ones at the house. So when they arrived, it says that they went into the house. They're not bowing before stable. They went into the house and they began to worship him. Now, folks, these are prominent men. These are men who can afford great wealth because they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, tremendously costly ointments, perfumes, and they brought them for one reason, to worship. And it says that these important, rich, affluent men did something that normally rich and affluent people don't do. They fell on the ground and worshiped someone else. They worshiped this child. Now, you know, people came to King Solomon because they felt like, well, if we do something good and bring our gifts to Solomon, we will gain favor from him and he will treat our countries with respect. That, did, that happened a lot. But you don't go to a child and think that you're going to get a favor from him. At best, Jesus was a little toddler, maybe could say a few words. He was not in the position to give favors. These men worshipped him. And they gave gifts. They gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's, what's, what's the big deal about those gifts? Well, God already knew what was best. He knew that this was a poor family and they needed some resources. They obviously were still poor when they went to Jerusalem, otherwise they would have given a lamb instead of two turtle doves as a sacrifice. They gave gold in just the next uh, part of this chapter, being warned in a dream, they had to travel to Egypt and stay there for quite a while because of the threat of Herod. They needed the resources. Frankincense, anointment, perfume. Well, the gold represents deity. The frankincense represents, I'm sorry, the gold represents royalty. The, the frankincense represents deity. And the myrrh rep represents death. Now, why would these wise men, these magi, give a gift that represents death? Only God knew the reason. Because he knew that the greatest purpose for Jesus to come was to die. To die for the sins of all mankind. Now, these men, whether they had some other thoughts about different religions, they must have obviously believed in the one true God of Daniel. Why? Because God spoke to them in a dream. 
They knew that this God was the God of Israel. They believed that this God was the one who sent this baby to earth, this child, this Christ child, and they believed that he was the answer to mankind's problems. And so when God spoke to them in a dream that they are not to return to Herod, they left and went a different way. Now, we know that the shepherds came and they became evangelists. They became sharing the good news of great joy that was for all people to anyone who would be willing to listen. We know that Simeon and Anna were also witnesses. They stood up before all the Jewish people in the temple in Jerusalem and they praised God. And they, Simeon says, I, my eyes have now seen thy salvation. They were worshiping and praising and witnessing about this one, this gift of God. We don't see the actual witness of the wise men, the Magi. But it said that they left and went home a different way. I think that speaks in two different ways. They went home by a different path, but they went home a different way. They were changed. Their hearts had to been changed. What they witnessed in that home when they bowed before, they fell on their faces before this baby had to change them. They could not be the same when they returned home. We have no idea what kind of witness they may have been when they returned or even along their way back. So we look and we see that they came to worship. Now here's a question I have to ask. These men were willing to gather great riches, gold, frankincense, myrrh. They were willing to put together a large caravan and travel maybe up to six months just to worship this one who was born king of the Jews. Folks, it's hard for us to get people to get out of bed on a Sunday morning and drive in a car to a warm church like this to worship. What's the problem? These men knew that something special had happened. But for many Christians, it has become second nature. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you know, do I have to worship every week? Do I have to go through this ritual? It's, it becomes stale for many people. And it should never be stale. It, we should always have this excitement in our hearts to, to worship Him. Yes, we can worship outside of this beautiful building. Praise the Lord, we do worship outside of this beautiful building. We should be worshiping every day of our lives. But God has commanded us to assemble ourselves together so that we can join our hearts in praise, so that we can worship Him together, so that we can hear the Word of God expounded, so we can let His presence fill us anew, strengthen us so that when we leave this place, we go out in His strength and His power with His wisdom, His knowledge, His understanding, so that we can impact the world around us. That's why we come. So we've seen the shepherds, they shared the good news of great joy with all who would listen. We've seen Simeon and Anna and their worship of the new Savior. Now we have seen these magi, the wise men, and they have come to worship.
we need to worship. We need to make worship a priority in our lives. How many of us would have put together such riches, traveled over six months on a long, arduous journey? I've never ridden on a camel, but I don't think it's as comfortable as you might think it would be. That's a long time to ride on a camel. How many of you would have done that just to worship Jesus? Now, we don't have to do that. God has an opportunity for us to worship every day. Let's be found faithful at doing that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today for realizing that we are sinners, saved only by your grace. Lord, today we have come to worship you. Lord, help us to allow you to fill our hearts with your presence, to work in us in a way that fills us with the joy of your salvation. And Lord, may worship never be a drudgery or something that we feel like we have to do. Lord, may it be the joy of our heart, a privilege that we get to do. Lord, may we understand that when we give our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings, Lord, it's just a simple way of worship. And Lord, as we come and sing these songs of praise, it's an act of worship. But Lord, the greatest act of worship is what takes place when we leave this place, when we share the glory of your salvation with the world around us who is desperately in need to hear it. Lord, guide us as we come into this time of invitation. May we respond according to your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.